from Ireland to Dubai, from PCC to MCC, from developing mastery to artificial intelligence, and the evolution of coaching and the challenges of coaching in a multi-denominational environment. This episode really has it all. Now people are being asked, we want you to deliver 10 hours of coaching through face-to-face, through digital, through WhatsApp, through YouTube, or whatever in-house platform, learning and development platform they've developed. It's a kind of new competency. Welcome to the Curious Coach Podcast. So buckle up as we travel around and explore the world of coaching. Here's your host and professional coach, Stephen Clements. In this episode, I had the pleasure of a face-to-face interview with Linda McLaughlin, coach, trainer and newly elected ICF Global Board Director and a fantastic ambassador for our wonderful coaching profession. Well, thank you, Stephen. Linda McLaughlin. Um, been coaching for almost 20 years and I'm happy to say I achieved MCC just at the end of last year, which was a big professional goal achieved. Very much in the leadership executive team coaching space. That's been where most of my experience has been. And again, I get to travel quite a bit. I'm based in the United Arab Emirates. So I live there for about nine months of the year and, uh, of course, work in a very multicultural environment, as you can imagine, in the Gulf. But then I'm lucky enough to have clients in Europe and I'm also involved very much with the ICF, which gives me a real international perspective. And just earlier this year, I was elected onto the Global Board of Directors. Mm, So that's some journey. (laughs) And I suppose I'm curious in terms of over the 20 years, how have, how have you changed as a coach? Oh, great, powerful question, Stephen. I would say hugely that initially when I started coaching, I was working with the Institute of Public Administration in Ireland and we were running a lot of flagship leadership development programs for senior public servants. And at the time, many of the leadership development programs included maybe two or three uh, coaching sessions. So that was how I got into it. It was never a conscious decision to become a coach. I had made a conscious decision uh, to be in training and development. But coaching, I I did really enjoy that one-to-one time. And I felt, especially for senior people, that was a safe space for them to really share the key issues they were facing at work. Um, However, I have to admit that I had no preparation (laughs) for this task. Um, I think I had a kind of an innate ability to connect and listen to people. But, you know, now that I've studied coaching far more in depth, I know it's much more beyond that. So uh, after maybe doing some coaching for about four year period, I had the opportunity to come and sign up for coaching development program, which was a 20 day program. It's still running very much strong and healthy in Ireland. And that was a real eye opener because that was the first time I realized that there is a competency model for coaching, Mm -hmm. you know, the 11 core competencies set out by the ICF and, you know, where a structure is very much um, 
available to us as coaches. And once I kind of connected into the core competencies and particularly the one uh, designing the alliance, which is really about how do I focus the session? How do I clarify what the client really needs to get out of this? I think that was the biggest turning point for me because I realized maybe what I hadn't been doing prior to learning that. And I think that uh, competency really ensures that you are in partnership with your client and that it's goal focused, it's results driven. And therefore, there's an inherent ROI, which is really important in the corporate world. Yeah. And and as you talk about that alliance and that partnership, I suppose it jumps out at me that that is such a key difference between coaching and not coaching where you're mentoring or being more directive. Yeah. And I think there's something about, you know, the coactive model of coaching. There's a lot of when you say coaching to people, there's a lot of different definitions and people often connect it into sports coaching. That model is in their head. So typically people think it's the coach's job to give advice, to fix things, to provide solutions. And I mean, I'm used to that when I have my consulting hat on because I would do some organization development and HR type consulting in organizations. But coaching really has quite a different energy. And what I love about the ICF coactive, non-directive form of coaching is that it's saying my client is a whole person. Uh, They have the answers. And my job is just to ask the right questions to get them to access those answers and then commit to following through. I suppose I'm curious as well in terms of how you've developed as a coach and then the the value that that is bringing to clients is fantastic. How, how has coaching changed you over that span as well? I think it's changed me right to my essence, really, because one of the things I think why I'm so drawn to coaching is that when I'm coaching, I am truly present in my life. Uh, Anyone who knows me knows I am a multitasker of note. I have high energy, (laughs) active, goal-getting person. And of course, that has been a great ingredient for success in my life, but at times, I have tended to overdo that and, and, you know, headed towards burnout almost. But what I find is when I'm coaching, it just brings me into the present moment. It seems to slow me down and focus me in the right way. And the other thing I notice is I never take notes during my coaching sessions. And as soon as I meet my client, and it could be months in between the sessions, I have this amazing recall that I can just slot back into the conversation where we left off. And I think that comes with being so present and coaching seems to do that for me. Whereas normally I cannot rely on my memory. I mean, where are my, where's my handbag? Where's my keys? My family get sick and tired of me asking these questions, you know. But I think this, it has just, coaching somehow has changed my DNA in that respect. Mm. 
Um, and I, I, I think also maybe develop my empathy and the non-judgment because it is amazing, even though I work in the corporate leadership space and often the goals set for the coaching engagement will reflect, you know, the person's goal, goals or role in the C-suite. But as you get into coaching people, they are people that the personal issues emerge, whether they are fears or, you know, imposter syndrome, or difficulties balancing their life, or stress, or anxiety. These are just huge trends at the moment. That you really realize when people lift the mask that we're all human. And we can never judge, doesn't matter how big the title, how big the office of the client, just we never know with people. And I think that reminds me every day on the journey to non-judgment. Now it's easier said than done. It strikes me that when you deal with executives and sort of leaders in their field, there is that perception that they are experts. They have this confidence, they have a lot of responsibility. And I suppose I'm curious, have you noticed a shift over the years moving more from the coaching being helping them with what they're doing to being more about how they're being as a person and being more open to that 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 human side of of their role as a leader or is that is that always there mm, an interesting question my experience is when you go into an organization and you contract for a coaching program, that still today the goals will be very corporate focused. Um, and it's really as you build up the trust and the relationship and you dig deeper that the real issues emerge. And I'm not sure that that has changed any more or less over my 20 years. I think that has always been a fact of life. I think what has changed is um, executives being open to that issue around purpose, life purpose, and almost consciousness and spirituality, that those sort of topics seem to be more mainstream now, whereas they might have seemed a little flaky mm. to bring up in the past, like for instance, years and years ago, I trained as a Reiki master and I have never practiced Reiki as a business, but I use it very much for myself and, and rebalancing myself but, and friends and family, of course. But I would have kept that a kind of a secret. <laughs> it was a dirty little secret uh, in my corporate work. I would never have mentioned that. Whereas now I find people are interested in that and there is there is a more openness all right. And it, it does seem to be that organizations are more embracing the whole concept of mindfulness and yeah. truly human. Uh, yeah, the mind-body connection seems to be accepted, you know, corporations offering yoga and mindfulness sessions. Now, 10 years ago in Ireland, that would have been a rarity. So it's wonderful to see 
this uh, movement happening, you know, and, and maybe responding to our workforce as, as a sort of whole people. And I suppose I'm curious, so you, when you did your training with coaching development, you went straight into PCC or did you do ACC first? No, I went straight to PCC. I think when I finished the certificate course, I went forward to the diploma, which meant that I was teed up in terms of the supervision requirements, the mentor coaching requirements. Um, and I decided to go straight for PCC. I think what ha- helped at the time was that you needed 750 hours. They've brought it back to 500 at the moment. But and at that time, you were able to count hours you had done prior to your training. So with and the fact that I was doing coaching every week as part of my job was great that I was able to accumulate the hours needed. Whereas, as you know, for ACC, it's 100. So, I mean, it depends, I think, where people are, are and how many hours they can accumulate before they make their application. But I still think, and, and often I would advise the coaches I train, go for ACC. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many clients, they're happy that they have a credential coach. And the fact that there's three levels is not so important to them. Mm-hmm. I think it is key to be a member of a coaching organization, whichever one you choose, obviously. I'm very enamored with ICF, but there's EMCC and AC out there, wonderful association. So I think it's important to be part of a body ascribed to a code of ethics, you know, and have a personal continuing professional development path within that. So I would be saying start on the ladder. If ACC is the right step for you, go for that. It just happened uh, at the time that PCC was attainable for me as a first step. Yeah, and I suppose I'm curious then, what's the difference between Linda getting her PCC and starting out at that level of coaching and where you're at today as a as now net, an MCC? Well, it, I was 10 years in the making <laughs> to become MCC. Mm-hmm. And initially... When I look back, it started, I am, as I say, I love to have a target. I love to have a goal. So once I was practicing as PCC for a number of years, I kind of thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to aim for MCC? And at the time, I probably saw it as a more transactional process. I need to get my two and a half thousand hours. I need to get my mentor coaching, my two tapes, etc. But when I really got into it, I realized it was more transformational. It was not a transactional journey at all. And I'd say I probably took two years longer preparing for my application than I had intended because I worked with four different mentor coaches right around the world. I had one mentor coach, Benita Stafford in Oman. She was the first MCC in the Gulf. I had two in the UK and one in America. And I just learned an awful lot. Each mentor gave me a different perspective on mastery. And even though I had my 10 hours done ages earlier, I just kept going. I kind of got the bug. And then it really made me evaluate how I was coaching. And... 
I think one of the biggest things for me was emphasizing partnership more at every minute of the conversation. And the other thing was more direct communications. I realized I perhaps wasn't always sharing my observations and feedback as well as I might or as often as I might. And I was learning how to give myself permission to do that. So they were key learnings for me on the way. And, and also, there was a kind of a humbling aspect to it, to be honest, because I would do um, a recording and be quite delighted with it and think, oh, you know, I'll get the thumbs up when I send it to my mentor coach, you know, and, and then the word might come down. Well, actually, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you submit this, you know, and it is like a bucket of cold water. And often when you've been practicing for so long, you know, and you have a certain status in the community or in your profession to realize it's not meeting the standard. And, but I, I felt managing my feelings through that and my vulnerability and getting back on the horse. I think that was a really important part of the journey. But what I love is, you know, people say, oh, what's it like being a master now? And I don't kind of fully buy into that. There are three letters that you can put after your name. But as someone once said to me, it just means really that on the day you were assessed with your two tapes that you met the standard on that day and that every every day is a challenge and you may not hit that level every day. And I, I think that's one of the beautiful things about coaching, certainly for me, that it's not you go and do a course and you're done and you've got a qualification and now you, 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 you're there. It really is that journey and you learn so much along the way, <laughs> not just about how to do it, but also about yourself and it's a voyage. Yeah. And I think at the mastery level, what's interesting is that there isn't a set of markers. Like we know for PCC, there's a very structured and rigorous assessment process, you know, where you, if you tick these boxes, you are at the PCC standard, which has been wonderful in one way to ensure consistency across assessors. But for mastery level, you know, it, it's what one of my mentor coaches used to call the magic sauce. So you demonstrate proficiency at a higher level, obviously, in your competencies, but there is some magic there. So, uh, and uh, I'm going to ask this question a little bit tongue in cheek, but I've got this image now of, of Linda reaching MCC, kicking off her shoes, putting her feet up, saying, yep, I've done, I now know everything I need to know. I'm assuming that's not true. <laughs> I wish I could feel that way, Stephen, life would be simpler. <laughs> Well, I think given that as coaches, we're so committed to growth and learning and development for our clients that that has to be reflected in our own journey and our own growth mindset. So while I'm very um, happy to have achieved MCC, I, I don't see it as an end. You know, it's ongoing. And uh, just recently now I've signed up for 
the PCC marker training with ICF. So very much uh, enjoying that, delving deep into those competencies. And I'm also heading to the Neuroleadership Institute conference in New York City in November. And I'm sure uh, that there will be a lot of learning and maybe future directions coming out of that. So no, I, the process never ends, much to the chagrin of my family. They'd like me to be around a bit more. And I suppose then just to go back to I'm curious about the difference between how you have experienced coaching in Ireland and then coaching in Dubai. Um, is, there, is there much differences or? When I first moved over to Dubai in 2012, obviously coaching wasn't at the same level as it was here in Ireland in terms of being very much part of uh, organizations, way of, of learning and developing. Yeah. Obviously, you have to take into account that uh, the UAE is not even 50 years old yet. So it's a very young country and we didn't even have an ICF chapter. So the first chapter was set up in 2013 and it's got over 250 members already. So it is thriving and growing. And the other great thing is that coaching is been recognized um, as a way to develop talent in organizations in particular and, and kind of becoming more part and parcel of how HR and learning and development is operating. So all of that is really, really healthy. And, and again, in terms of the variety of training providers coming into the market, that's also very, very healthy. And I offer my own training out there. And, you know, a lot of demand I'm seeing now for in-house versions of the program. So, you know, it's beginning, companies are beginning to look at uh, training up their own internal coaches, which is, again, very positive in terms of building coaching cultures at work. But, you know, there are differences, obviously. Uh, the Arab world is still quite traditional and hierarchical in places. And the idea that the coach doesn't give direct advice is, is still something, you know, clients can struggle with. So we have to spend quite a bit of time up front at chemistry meetings, etc., clarifying that. Um, and I think there is sometimes talk about Islamic coaching, developing a branch of, of our profession called Islamic coaching. And, and there's some merit in that. However, my personal opinion is that we should stick with the global model and, and more or less position the, the coaching industry as a universal, that there is a universal expectation, role and set of competencies for coaching, no matter where it happens in the world. And I suppose I'm curious as well, you, you mentioned previously about the number of different um, nationalities that are that are involved in the companies and the teams there. And I presume that must be quite challenging. Yeah, it's a hugely multicultural city. You know, my one position I had at an American university there but between faculty and staff with something like 89 different nationalities. So the whole multicultural understanding and sensitivity has to be a really, really big part of your coach's toolkit. And, and I find that that was a great learning for me because even how words are used, gestures people might use, facial expressions, 
all have different meanings for different cultures. And especially when you're doing team coaching in a city like that, um, not just even managing the variety of professions and functions within the team, but the nationalities. Mm. And for instance, um, it is saving face can be a really important part of a lot of Asian and Middle Eastern cultures. So that kind of frank forthright feedback piece, uh, which is important, but it has to be delivered in a way that is culturally sensitive. Um, and I'm not sure if I mentioned, but uh, the ICF has recently undertaken a complete review of the core competencies uh, based on in-depth job analysis. And this will be coming out in the coming months. But one thing we know is that multicultural sensitivity will be part of that updated competency framework. Yeah, it's such... So relevant for how the workplace is changing, and as you say, those teams are are becoming multi-denominal and everything else. So it's that's right, and I think also uh, with the digital explosion, you mm -hmm. know, coaches are working across geographies, across cultures. You know, from the comfort of our own home, we could be coaching on any comfort, a continent. So I think mm -hmm. uh, it, it's really becoming crucial. And I suppose on that digital piece, so. Are we all going to be going to be replaced by AI and you won't need coaches in, in years to come? Just be curious to get your, your personal opinion on that yeah. one. Will we be meeting robots at our chapter meetings? <laughs> well, I, I think that all industries are going to be impacted. You know, what affects society and what affects the workplace in general is going to impact on coaching. And, and AI and machine learning, we're seeing it so much part of how we're doing business today. Of course, it's going to change our world. Um, I think the emphasis, we'll, we'll see it in two main ways. One will be much more emphasis on mastery. Mm -hmm. So perhaps what could have been provided at a transactional lower level of coaching may be able to be done by computer apps or phone apps, for instance, in the future. But I still think there will be a great demand for the really in-depth coach who can provide that human connection. I think the second way that it's going to manifest, and some of my colleagues are telling me it's happened already, but it'll become more mainstream, is a very blended approach to how we provide coaching services. So typically at the moment, we would, might be contracted, you know, to do six or 10 one-to-one -one sessions. Now people are being asked more in terms of, we want you to deliver 10 hours of coaching through face-to-face, -face, through digital, through WhatsApp, through YouTube, you know, or whatever in-house platform, learning and development platform they've developed. Now, this is an interesting one because it means how do we manage data, for instance? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, how do we protect people's identity when we may not be operating out of, say, a workplace laptop? We may be doing everything on the fly through our phones, multiple devices, even what language do we use if we're sending text messages to our clients in terms of checking in with them, in terms of encouraging them, affirming them? It's a kind of new competency. And, and what is appropriate? And also there is inbuilt into this, this idea of accessibility 24-7. 
So how do we manage boundaries with our clients as coaches? If we're kind of going to be in contact through multiple devices in multiple ways at all times. Mm. So maybe being replaced by an AI isn't so bad after all. <laughs> yes. Um, I suppose I'm just conscious as, as we're, we're wrapping up and um, just to get in one piece around what advice would you have for, for those starting out on their own journey today and, and getting into coaching? Mm. Well, I think access to professional level training is key get the fundamentals right and, and get the best course you can access and afford. Uh, I think after that, really, it's about practice. And I think uh, it's a real skill, coaching, and the only way to refine it and gain your experience is through, you know, constant practice. And sometimes there can be a little nervousness on our part and we tend to think, well, if I read another book or I do another webinar, <laughs> I'll be a better coach. But there's nothing that will beat practice. And I think also been very open to feedback and self-reflection in terms of how am I doing. And I think finally I would say join a professional body because the support of peers is amazing. And also having, you know, a, a kind of a ladder, something to ascribe to um, in terms of getting credentialed, making sure your license is up to date, uh, renewing your learning. So that can be very motivating as well. Yeah. Linda, I really appreciate the time that you've given me today and the generosity and sharing um, your insights and wisdom. So thank you very much. And I wish you every success on, as you continue on your own journey. Well, thank you, Stephen, for your invitation. Very honoured. And I do love your podcast series, The Curious Coach. So look forward to the next instalments. As always, I really appreciate the time and openness of coaches such as Linda in sharing their experiences, reflections and journey with me and the listeners of The Curious Coach podcast. And I love the excuse to cover such a broad range of areas with Linda as she popped home to Ireland for a well-deserved holiday. Full details of this and all the other episodes can be found on my website at stephenclements.ie forward slash podcast. And please don't hesitate to get in touch by sending me an email to stephen at stephenclements.ie and that's Stephen with a PH. Thanks again for listening and until next time, don't forget, stay curious.